There is pictures. I'm still a bit of a state of recovery. I paid about an hour of soccer a day with my son Liam over here. Liam, give me a shout. Yeah. And uh, he did great, but my mind, uh, I think, wrote a few checks. My 53-year-old body couldn't cash on the soccer pitch. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I'm in recovery. Well, welcome, folks. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And tonight, we're going to be continuing in our series, Got to Get You Into My Life, okay? And tonight, we're going to be talking about work, okay? Pretty important subject, right? I bet a few of you out there have a few hours of experience with this whole subject. And just to get you thinking tonight, um, can anybody out there remember the first job that they did for pay when they were a little guy? Okay, what's your first job you did for pay? I mean, for me, I grew up in Southern California. My parents owned a donut shop, okay? And, uh, you know, pretty cool situation. We all got sucked into the family business, but it had some perks for sure. I walked to school each day, and so I'd stop by, and the donut shop was on the way. So I'd stop by there, and like, so I got a donut for breakfast pretty much every day for a few years of my life. So pretty sweet deal, but sometimes I wonder, hmm, where did that lifelong carbohydrate addiction come from? Figure it out. So mysterious. Yeah. Hey, sugar cravings aside, the way kind of I got sucked into the family business was, uh, I think I was about five years old. Uh, I was a box folder. You know, if you need a dozen donuts, you know, you start with this flat box, but somebody's got to put this thing into shape and, and make a box out of it. So that was my gig. And so the deal was, if I folded two boxes, my dad would give me a penny. Okay. Two boxes, you get a penny. So if I folded 50 boxes, that added up to a quarter. Now, a quarter was a magic number back then because we had a pinball machine inside the donut shop that took a quarter. So if I did 50, 50 boxes, I could go over and play a game of pinball, okay? Which is amazing, super fun, right? But then after that, it'd be like, okay, wait a minute. My dad owns the pinball machine. So he'd go take the quarter out of the pinball machine, put it back in the till, and this whole process would start all over again. I'm like, hey, dad, I, I know I'm only five, but... Uh, this whole work thing seems like a bit of a racket to me, okay? Uh, um, well, the first job ever thing didn't, didn't trigger any emotion. How about the following? Think about the very best job you ever had. I mean, one that you just loved, okay? Or what about the worst job you had that you just despised? I actually had both of these jobs in the same summer when I was a, when I was a college student. So, my summer job as a college student was I was a, I was a firefighter on a hotshot crew, okay? Super cool job. I mean, like, 20-person crews. They were all college students. I had tons of friends on my crew. We'd go up to the mountains. You see these beautiful places. Super exciting job. You'd, like, drive up to the middle of this forest at, at night. The whole forest is on fire, and you just attack it. So I was a chainsaw operator. So I'd go up, just fire up my chainsaw, right? <laughs> go start attacking this fire. We'd have the locals just really appreciated what we did. We'd maybe save their, save their home, save, save part of the forest. So it was like, you got this positive feedback. Great job. I mean, it was just super fun out in the beautiful outdoors. Uh, loved everything about that job. But then the same summer, I had my worst job because when we, you only got paid when the forest was on fire. So when it wasn't, we were kind of back in town and we'd be taking one of these, you know, have you ever done this? One of these beggars can't be choosers jobs. Just a job, okay? And that job was for 10 hours a day, like in the 110 California baking sun, I would dig holes 10 hours a day, okay? Just digging, digging, digging. 
And the coup de grace was I had this boss, I'm almost sure he sucked on lemons in the morning before he came to work. He was so sour. I mean, so just this hot job, boring, long, sweaty, okay? And, you know, boss barking in my ear the whole time, just no, no good input, just all negative. I mean, I literally just waited. The only respite was lunch, okay? Just a half hour in the shade to recover and just be praying my pager would go off so I could go back out and fight fires, right? So, you know, and I think, hey, think about that best job, worst job for yourself. I think we all carry a fair bit of emotion into our work, right? If we're honest about it. And, and how could we not? I mean, honestly, how could we not? I mean, we typically spend more than half of our adult waking life working, <laughs> okay? It's a big deal that we spend a lot of time on. I mean, if you sleep eight hours a night, there's about 110 hours for the rest of the week. The average American probably works 40, 50 hours a week. Just your day job, okay? Then you come home and whatever work you do with your family and night and weekends, I mean, this easily adds up to more than half of our life. Our life. And, uh, you know, one primary reason we have a lot of emotion around it is because we spend most of our lives doing it. And because of that, and I think particularly as Americans, we all tend to bring pretty high expectations to our work, okay? Pretty high expectations. I was definitely exposed to this reality when I first came to Utah. It was about 20 years ago now, okay? And so I was brought down to be one of the founding leaders of a joint venture between Micron and Intel down in Lehigh, Utah. And they had asked me to head up their process engineering division. And my first task was basically to hire the 500 people who were going to do this engineering work, you know, and it was, it was interesting because as we started hiring these people, getting to know them, onboarding them, like all of them were forwarding me this super viral video on the internet at the time, okay? And, and just saying, hey, you got to see this, check this out. Very strong reaction to it. And you may have heard of the speaker in the video. We're going to see a clip from it in a minute here. Uh, it was Steve Jobs, uh, the late great um, founder of Apple, computer, and actually, ironically, that was our biggest customer at the time. We made the memory for all the iPods, iPhones, everything's right. Um, but in this speech, it just went bonkers on the internet. There's tons of them out there. It's been viewed over 100 million times. And my sense is I think this thing went viral because it just, like, captures a piece of, yeah, the American spirit, the American mindshare about what we seem to want from work, what we crave from work, so check this out and just think about it. Think about here what you agree with, disagree with it. Just interact with this thing as we watch it. Your work is to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And like any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking. Don't settle. My third story is about death. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made an impression on me, 
And since then, for the past 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Right? What did you think of that? Um, I think it's a pretty accurate representation of some of the American ideal around work, for sure. But, you know, as you look at that, it's a pretty romantic version of work, too, right? I mean, did you notice the language in there? There was definitely a lot of love what you do, don't settle, better and better each year. Okay, if you don't like it, just walk away and find something else. There are pieces of that I think we're all attracted to, right? If we're honest, there are pieces of that that we're all attracted to. But I can't help but wonder, are all of those ideas, God's ideas, and the ones that are really going to give us joy and peace in our work? And is this a helpful view for every human on the planet? Um, I mean, what if I was born in North Korea under a dictatorial regime and I got assigned my work? Should I still love that? Should I love that type of work? What if I, I've been to rural Guatemala a couple of times, and uh, when I was there, most of the folks there worked picking coffee in the local coffee fields for a couple bucks a day. Um, should they not settle if that's the only job that's available there? Or what if you live here in America, where I think there's often more freedom to pursue something that feels like a calling, like real meaningful work than almost anywhere, but... What if you can't find? What if you don't have a job that gives you genuine fulfillment? I mean, my experience, you know, as a pastor, as a professor, as a boss, I've talked to easily hundreds of people about work. And it's a major jungle to sort out that, that desire we have to have fulfilling work. It's a puzzle to unlock. And here's my contention where I want to go today. As followers of Christ, our promise is that God really wants to give us a hopeful path, a hopeful path to meaningful work, okay? And meaningful work in all circumstances, even if you've got a tough situation and a tough job. But as always, and I think we've been learning this in this series, and it's an important lesson, hey, we're going to have to do things God's way if we want to get his results, okay? So what is God's approach to work? And the first big principle that I want to talk about here is make a decision, okay, to integrate your faith and work, okay, to integrate your faith and work. Okay, these are like two separate hemispheres of our life. Like one's over there, that's faith, and one's way over there, that's work. Integrate these things. I mean, let's think about how can we get God into our lives if we don't invite him into what we spend more than half of our lives doing, okay? And, and I actually want to dispel one work myth right up front. There are no separate categories of like sacred work and secular work in the Bible, okay? There's not like cool holy stuff over here and like not cool, non-holy stuff over there, okay? There's the amazing promise for followers of Christ is that all work, all work can be sacred, okay? As long as it's ethical, okay? I'm not talking about non-ethical work, but for all work. Um, no exceptions. You don't see categories in the Bible of, these, of different types of work that are sacred and secular. You just see work. You see Adam, the gardener, 
You see Paul, the tent maker. You see Jesus, the carpenter. Okay, You just see God calling people to all forms of work. And I think this is best seen in Colossians. This will be one of our key verses today to really hold on to as we think about work God's way. Okay, let's look at this, Colossians 3.23. And it says, whatever you do, okay, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Okay, whatever you do. Um, the Greek here for whatever means, wait for it, whatever. <laughs> Everything, <laughs> all things, okay? For everything we do, uh, for all types of work, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Okay, here's what I like to do. Uh, I, you know, I believe in this. Visualize, no matter what your work is, that Jesus is your boss, okay? Jesus Christ himself is your boss. And what an empowering concept this is. I mean, any work can be hopeful if we work as unto the Lord. And Okay, let's get real for a minute, okay? This is a lot easier, right, when if you happen to love your work or be in a job that you find really fulfilling, and sometimes in life we get those situations, and that's great. But what happens if we're in, like, the worst work situation we can imagine? Okay, does that mean we can't have the same thing going on? The Bible addresses this head-on in 1 Corinthians. I love that, like, there's just a direct assault on this. Check out 1 Corinthians 7.17. Is that right? Yeah. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them, okay? And in whatever situation. And the situations Paul mentions here, he mentions like political situations, like what system you're stuck in. He mentions family situations. I mean, have we chosen the family we've been in or we assigned it? Um, And our work situations, Okay, for the early Christians, their political situation was was fairly nuts, right? I mean, they were being occupied by Roman foreign invaders. And God asked them to submit to that and say, okay, obey the authorities. We We can deal with this. And the work context Paul refers to here is probably one of the worst work contexts we can imagine, okay? That of being a bondservant or a slave, Okay, look at the couple of verses down in 1 Corinthians 7, 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can, gain your freedom, do so. Okay? If you can, do so. And let me be clear, um, God's not condoning North Korean dictators or, or Roman invaders. He's not condoning evil bosses and slavery. He doesn't like that or want any of that for us. But there are some natural consequences, and we'll talk about this today, of sin being in the world that's going to affect every situation in life, particularly our work, okay? Particularly that thing we've spent so much time doing. And what God's trying to say in these verses is we're definitely going to find ourselves in some challenging work situations at some point, okay? That is unavoidable. It is inevitable, okay? And we don't have to like it. We don't have to like it. But we do have to say, that's going to happen. Part of the human experience in a fallen world. And in faith, God has a purpose in that and will sustain us through it and in in any work context, even when there's a tough season for work. Okay, so starting point, 
Let's work for the Lord. Let's invite him into our work, whether the work is amazing or difficult. But let's break this down a little bit more and get a little more practical and ask the question, what is God's design for work? Kind of in the ideal state, okay? If we just think about this as like God's general will for our work that applies to everybody. And let's start by thinking about how, how God actually worked. Okay, he worked. He designed work. He did work. Okay, remember, he, what was his first work in the first week? Made everything, right? He made the world. He made you and me. And is he, is he done working now? In the New Testament, does he work at all? Yeah, it says he's still working. I'm working on behalf of us, our sanctification. He's still working. So he made it. He did it. He does it. And he designed us to do it as well. And uh, in Ephesians, there's a great description of this with, with both God's work and our work in Ephesians 2.10. So let's check this out. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork, okay? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that word workmanship there. That's the Greek word poema. Poema. What word do you think we get from that? Poema. It's poem. It's poem. We are actually God's poem. Think about that for a minute. Each one of you. His work is to create you as a poem. As a finely crafted poem. Uh, Expertly designed and put together. You're a poem. And since we are created in God's image, now he wants us to work and create beautiful things, poems as well. And what does it say here that God created us to do? To do good works. Good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so God has a calling for us, each one of us. And it's not to serve ourselves. It's to do good works and to serve others. That's a huge part of his general will for each of you. As you're thinking about, hey, whatever work I'm doing, there has to be a component where you think through, what can I do in this job today that's going to be about doing good works that serve others? There is going to be fulfillment in that, purpose in that, something in that that no one can take from you and that it's going to be very, very fulfilling. Okay? And another thing God designed us to do, check this out in Genesis 1. This kind of describes how we're supposed to interact with God's creation, which was his other poem. God has two poems, okay? One was creation. The other one was you and I. And in Genesis 1, it talks about this reality of what we're supposed to do as we interact with the earth. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay? So a big piece of our cultural mandate here is to subdue it. What does that mean? Um, cultural mandate, that's Tim Keller's word. He talked about that's our cultural mandate to mankind. Okay? A call to basically stewardship, like a trusteeship of the earth's resources, of this beautiful thing he created. Okay? Because when he made it, it had a ton of potential. But if you look in Genesis at the language, what did the earth look like? It was kind of formless and void. He called us to come in, take the earth's resources, and like craft them, form them into something useful to cultivate it, okay? And this is not easy, by the way. It takes strength. It takes an act of the will. Um, it takes hard work. Um, 
these resources are, are there, but they're sometimes undeveloped. And they need some sweat. <laughs> okay, we need some sweat. Uh, pull some weeds, plow a field, plant some seed. God's kind of calling us to bring order to this somewhat chaotic earth and to make it fruitful. Okay, to make it fruitful. And the outcome of that will be fruit, good works, okay, that will benefit mankind. So, so really cool here. Big picture purpose for your work? Here's some ideas. He wants you to create something. He wants you to subdue the earth. He wants to make it useful so it's beneficial to people. And all this work, whatever we're doing, is going to be to serve other people and bring benefit to them. Okay, so that's God's general will. And you might say, great, that's cool. But what about me? What about my particular will? What am I supposed to be doing here? How do I figure this out? And, wow. I'm just thinking back over the, the hundreds of students when I was a professor and employees when I was, I mean, everybody wants to know this, right? What am I supposed to do? How do I figure this out? Here's three ideas. Okay, three ideas. I think they've all been important in my journey in some way. Number one, take some time to research yourself. Okay, take some time. How are you made? How did God make you? Do some personality tests. Do a Myers-Briggs. Do an Enneagram. Do a big five personality test. What does that say about what you're made to do? Okay? If you're a raging extrovert, you're probably not designed to live in a cubicle alone all day where you don't talk to people. Right? Dave's not built to do that. Okay? Dave's not built to do that. Very miserable. Dave sat alone all day. Not, no interaction. Right? Um, assess your spiritual gifts. Like, what are the beautiful things God gave you in particular, okay, in particular, that allow you to interact with human beings and bless them, okay? What are your spiritual gifts, okay? Both of these things, both your, let's call them personality gifts, your spiritual gifts, all that's important to understanding what God may have made you uniquely to do that, that other people just can't do and that you'll win at, you'll be successful at. Number two, like, okay, research yourself, but ask other people, okay? This is so important. Ask other people what you do that is a blessing. Here's a cool assignment. Like, go find five people that you trust, that really know you, who will, who will tell you the truth, and ask them questions like the following. Where do I create beauty in the world? Okay, where do I create beauty? Where do I subdue the earth and put it in order? Where do I serve others well? Where do I provide a blessing? to other people, okay? Don't, don't ask yourself, ask others. If our purpose is to serve others, ask them, where is this working out for me in the world? And, you know, I was thinking of the pictures on the trip there. So one of those guys um, was uh, Vaughn Huffman, Vaughn the Builder, some of you know Vaughn. And uh, it was cool because as we drive around Honduras, inevitably somebody would say something like, oh, that's the, that's the place over there where Vaughn put the roof on and fixed Tyro's house. High rows in the back there. You know, that's the place where Vaughn built this or built that, you know? And then people would talk about what a blessing that was to be. That, that's what Vaughn was built to do, okay? Ironically, to be a builder. He was built to be a builder. And when he does it, he really blesses people, okay? That's what you're looking for. Like, and other people have great insight into where you are a blessing. So ask them. So research yourself, ask other people. But then third, and this is probably most important, Ask God directly. Okay, ask him directly. What am I built to do? 
What do you want me to do? And with this sort of an attitude, I'll do anything you ask me to do. And, you know, I think this is the question we're sometimes really afraid to ask God, okay? And sometimes we don't ask him. And why? Why not? Maybe we don't want to know, okay? Maybe we don't want to lose control of our destiny sometimes. Maybe we think, I don't think God knows what I'm designed to do better than I know. And that's just crazy, right? I mean, he doesn't know us better than we know ourselves. I mean, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows every fiber of our being. He definitely knows what you're built to do better than you know. That's the reality, okay? And so we just need to take this step and ask him. And again, Maybe the real reason we don't ask him is because we don't want him deciding what to do with our lives. Maybe we want to decide that. And in my confession is, that's exactly what I did with the first couple decades of my work life. I took the path I thought was best. And by the way, there was plenty of personal attention and accolades that came with that. But I never stopped. I never just stopped and said, God, is this what you want me doing? Okay. Um, What do you want from me? And eventually I realized I was pretty burned out. Um, But more than that, I realized I was mostly doing what I was doing for myself. And here's a super sobering reality for, for all of us. I think we aren't taking anything with us. Not one single thing are we taking with us from this planet unless it's relational or done for Jesus. That's all we're taking with us, okay? We're not taking one dollar, not one accomplishment, not one promotion, not one creation, not one thing that isn't relational or done for Jesus. So we just have to give that some thought, give that some, I mean, we're here for this tiny whisper of a life compared to eternity. Just the tiniest whisper, okay? I'm a mathematician, right? Divide your quantity of life 80 years by infinity. Guess how long we're here? That number is close to zero, essentially. It's, 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 it's fleeting, right? But what we do for Jesus is going to last. And here's the cool thing. I'm not talking about then I need to go get a job in ministry or whatever. Yeah, I was about to say you don't want to be called to be a pastor. <laughs> I think that's true. No. The, you can do this in any job you're called to. Okay, there's no sacred special jobs. Wherever you're at, this is a piece of your vocational destiny to say, God, where can I really make a difference in serving other people? Super cool. All right. Well, the last bit I want to tackle is actually, what is my hope, though, when work is really hard? Really hard. Has anybody here had work written really hard ever? Do I need to make this case <laughs> that work is sometimes super difficult? If not, impossible. I think we've all been there. And, and we've talked about this. Why is work really hard when God designed it as a good thing? Because sin has entered the world. It's in us. It's in other people. And it's somewhat tainted everything. It's there, and it's going to cause our work to sometimes be a challenge. And yeah, I mean, this is spelled out really clearly in Genesis 3. Um, this is the famous curse associated with our sin. So 
Cursed is the ground because of you. This is right after Adam and Eve sinned. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return. You know, as I read this, I can't help but just think back to that that Steve Jobs speech. That kind of romantic tale, love your work, don't settle, better and better each year. If it's not, great, switch it out. Um, here, here's the truth, folks. It's, it's not biblical. It's not biblical to hold on to a vision of your work, being sort of a romantic soulmate that fulfills every single nuance of your dreams as a human being. That's not a biblical idea, okay? That's not a biblical idea. Work was never intended to give your life ultimate meaning, okay? Relationships were. Relationships with him, relationships with others. God, God intended work to be meaningful, purposeful, hopeful, but not an ultimate thing, not something that replaces God. And it's completely inevitable that at some point in your life, work is gonna feel a lot like the description of work I give, that the, the writer gives here in Ecclesiastes. I mean, try this on for size. It's, it's a bit of a wake-up call. Ecclesiastes 2, 22 and 23 says, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. (laughs) Wow. Um, But have you been there? (laughs) Have you been up at 3 a.m. staring at the wall? over your work being difficult? I have. <laughs> I bet most of you have as well, right? Work is good. It's perfect, purposeful, but it's not perfect. It's been tainted by sin like everything else. And the balancing act here, what is the balancing act? It's to say, okay, um, I'm not going to expect something from work it can't give me, okay? It's not designed to give me, but I'm always going to fight to work as unto the Lord and just see him as our strength, our sustenance in work. Because God does have promises for us in work that will sustain us and that are amazing. I love what Paul says at the end of the letter to the Corinthians. He leaves us with one of these super beautiful promises. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, always give yourselves fully. Uh-oh, that doesn't look right. Oh yeah, second line. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Okay, always. Because you know, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Okay, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The Greek word here for labor is pretty strong. It's, It's kapos, which actually means a beating. Okay, taking a beating. Um, Sometimes we're going to take a beating uh, in our work, um, just like Jesus did. It's going to be tough sometimes, but the in vain piece, I mean, in vain means empty and meaningless. Not in vain means purposeful, hopeful, something that has eternal meaning. We are given this promise that when we work in the Lord, then our labor, this beating sometimes we take, will not be in vain. But we have a choice to make here, choice to make. Are we going to focus on the beating 
are we going to focus on the hope? Okay. Um, yeah, second confession. Yeah, for me, there's definitely been days where it's been hard not to focus on the, on the pain, on, on the pain of being even, even a pastor. Sometimes I think, um, yeah, when I start here, Dave, seven years ago, uh, sometimes I think about um, the disgust I see in people's faces over the years when I publicly identify as a Christian and say I'm a, I'm a Christian pastor. Um, in the old days when I'd introduce myself as a professor, as a titan of industry, you'd see this warmth embrace. Oh, wow, tell me about that. And when I tell them I'm a Christian pastor, sometimes it's like, you can see in their eyes, it's like, well, that's one way to live your life. That, that's one way to live your life. Or just the panic in their faces, hoping I don't want to you know, talk to them about Jesus. Um, some days I think about the trials we've incurred here at K2 in, in the last few years. Think about going through this COVID era. Think about losing a building and packing it up in a few months. You know, I think about meeting on Saturdays. I think about just, yeah, even some of the mistakes we've made, um, the trials we've experienced. Sometimes I think about the number of times I've shared the gospel with people or shared biblical wisdom and just been, it's been rejected. It's just been left behind. And they, they proceed doing what they're doing. And it's hard. It's hard to stand next to people when they reject what God says to do that'll make their lives go well. And they don't. And then I'm standing next to something that's just a wreck. That's really hard. But those are, and those are difficult things. I'm sure you could see that. But they're not what God's asking me to focus on, okay? What he's asking me to focus on are things like, hey, about 10 years ago for the first time, I went to God and told him, he gets to decide what I do with my life and work. That, that, I, I honestly did that for the first time about a decade ago. In faith, I declared, hey, he knows me better than I'm ever going to know myself. He knows me better, and I'm going to trust him with just letting him choose the work I'm going to do. Okay? I, I think about his, his call on me to come to K2 that I said yes to. Um, when so many people thought I was touched in the head for doing that. And I think a lot about people. I think a lot about people. I mean, I think about thousands of hours I've been able to spend loving on people at K2. Staff I've cared for, people I've counseled, people I've discipled. I think about where that's made a difference in their life, where people felt loved and cared for, um, where their lives have changed and they've really appreciated the role I played in that. And I think a lot about the future. I think a lot about the future. I think about a God who's powerful enough to have created every single thing I see. Everything I see. And that same God was compassionate enough to let his son die to purchase the salvation of every single person in this world and every single person sitting in this room. And I think about this community and in this great state of ours. Anything he wants, he has the power to do. Okay, All we have to do is say yes and just do anything 
He asks of us. And when I think like that, it, it, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. And God has assured me just over and over again on this journey that, hey, when I am working for the Lord, when I'm asking him and inviting him into my work, my work is not in vain. It's not in vain. Okay. So what are you going to do? How do you invite God into your work? What's your next step? Um, have you ever invited him in um, to your work? That's a great place to start. Just invite him in to your work. Are you willing to ask him, what does he want you to do with your gifts and your talent to serve someone? To serve someone. You can start simple. Maybe it's Monday morning. You can start your day by saying, Lord, just help me work unto you today. Let me see you as my boss. Um, how can I serve somebody? Maybe you're gracious to a surly boss or a tough customer. Um, see how that makes you feel and how it changes your relationship with work. Just do something that says, I'm going to try to invite God into my work. Okay? And let's just pray about that and invite him into that today. Yeah, Lord, I just... I thank you for your amazing power, Lord, that you have a plan for us. Whether our work is amazing right now or difficult and super challenging, Lord, you've got a plan for work that's good. A plan that's good for every person in this room, Lord. May we just face you today and say, in an act of faith, we're going to work as unto the Lord, and we're going to trust you in that, Lord, that when we work for you, and when we, when, when we invite you into our work, Lord, our work will not be in vain. We just thank you for that promise. Thank you for that reality, Lord. And um, we give you all the praise in the world, Jesus, because you deserve it. And we just pray all this in your name. Amen.